For 45 minutes, Sean Harwell will attempt not to cough. Hello, everybody. Uh, live from the Never Heard of It studios in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. This is Never Heard of It. I am one of your hosts, Craig Moorhead, and I'm here, as always, with... Sean Harwell. And it is great to be at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame studios today. This is... In beautiful Cleveland. Mm, 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 mm. Especially this time of year. Well, and especially with this movie we got today, Craig. Indeed, it's very fitting. You know the the tagline on the uh, on the poster for this one is "Get crazy! It's your last chance to party. Say goodbye to your brain." And I feel like this movie lives up to that. The movie is "Get Crazy," 1983 movie uh, directed by Alan Arkush, uh, starring Malcolm McDowell. Daniel Stern, Ed Bagley Jr., among many others. That's right. Um, and this uh, and this podcast may also give you the opportunity to say goodbye to your brain. I hope so. Uh, this movie was suggested by a friend of the show, Terry Welch. Terry, thank you very much for suggesting this. Uh, this one really came out of left field, and uh, I think it was certainly worth the time, easily worth the amount of money involved. Yeah, that's right. Uh, thank you, Terry. And yes, you can find this movie on YouTube for the big old price of zero if you haven't mm-hmm. seen it already or if you'd like to see it. And if you'd like to make a suggestion yourselves, just like Terry did, you can do so on Twitter. We are at Never Podcast, or you can come find us at NeverHeardPodcast.com. We got links to Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, all them places. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just I fall asleep when I'm saying that just myself. There's someone somewhere who's got like a pad of paper just waiting to write it down. (laughs) And then, yeah, then they have no way of of knowing. Boy, this movie has some serious fans to it. And, um... You know, I don't know if it quite falls into the cult canon you, that somebody else can decide that. But if you're a rock and roll guy, like if you like your rock and roll history, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in this movie that you're gonna you're gonna like or you're gonna enjoy going down the rabbit hole. Um, for mm-hmm. starters, uh, you know it was inspired. We'll get all this uh, more, but the director worked for the Fillmore East, which was Bill Graham's theater in New York, um, which was sort of like an offshoot of the famous Fillmore in San Francisco. And that was, I think, 67 to 71, I read today. Mm -hmm. Go look at Wikipedia at the number of live albums recorded at that theater in New York. It is staggering. I mean, the (laughs) Allman Brothers, Joe Cocker, Miles Davis, Grateful Dead, Iron, Iron Butterfly, Jefferson Airplane, Etc. Taj Mahal, Mountain, etc., etc., etc. So mm. I, I, you know, love all that stuff, and like I, I, I got a real education today looking into this movie a bit more. So just wanted to get that out there. If you're a rock and roll dude, you got to see this movie. Uh, it, it feels a lot like a concert film, shot a lot like a concert film at times. Yep. Um, but also uh, can can be very surreal. Uh, apparently, you know, the, the director said the only way he could get it made at the time 
was to do an airplane version of it. Like he wanted to do kind of a straight version of <laughs> right. of working in one of these kind of venues. And they're like, nope, that's not going to work. So to to his own uh, um, chagrin, I guess, uh, he, he's characterized the movie as having 3,000 punchlines and 1,000 jokes. What a great, and, what a great quote, right? I know. I, I love that quote, and I think it's it's absolutely exactly right. Like like the yeah. the movie has a, a constant constant uh, pace of of things hitting. Some things are not jokes at all, but but honestly, and I feel like he doesn't like it. Uh, it's certainly not what he wanted, what he set out to make. I but know, I would it's say, it's, sad. It's, yeah, it, <laughs> but it's one that. of those things that it's so fun to watch at least for me it's so fun to watch that it looks like it must have been a blast to make it's like nothing it's it's sort of very breezy nothing really matters yeah which is maybe one of its weaknesses too you know there it doesn't really matter what happens to any of these characters or whether or not any of these characters get what they want i i, I don't know uh, i i had a really fun time with it i think the gags were constant there there were like good just physical gags mm-hmm. uh, a movie like this could come off strident and just like too loud and obnoxious and it never does like uh not for me anyway um how did you feel about it sean I, kind of the same you know i, I think it, it is it's definitely an easy breezy kind of experience to sit through and i, I thank terry for sharing the trailer for us because I, I do think that prepared me a little bit for mm-hmm. you know watching a movie that's trying to do like the zucker brothers thing uh yeah you got to be in the right frame of mind a little bit here and like this uh if you're not familiar with it and I can't remember if they specifically called these two movies out in the trailer i want to say they definitely mentioned airplane but well, you know, if if you're imagining Airplane and the Blues Brothers, at least the concert part of the Blues Brothers having a baby, uh, I think Get Crazy is definitely that movie, right? Yeah. I mean, I think yeah, that's, it, that's a, f- a fair assessment. <laughs> that is a very good point. I, I wrote down that, that exact same thing. And it has a lot of what I like about both of those movies in this movie. Um, I don't yes. think it works quite as completely well as either of those other two movies. It certainly does not have the plot right. that the Bruce Brothers, Blues Brothers has. And no. it certainly does not have, I think, the sustained level of, you know, winter jokes <laughs> that sure. Airplane has. Um, right. And I think, you know, that'd be something interesting to get into a little bit later. Remind me, we'll come back to it just as far as like, okay, like what makes Airplane work? Uh, uh, when doing that, like, constant constant gag thing and maybe this work a little less but on the whole mm-hmm. man i had a blast with it i mean i think like you know the plot is is sort of inconsequential you know as best i can tell is uh you got this guy uh max that owns the theater played by alan garfield whom i did, you'll recognize he's been in a million he was in the conversation like I, you know i had mm-hmm. to look up what he was in but he's been in a million things yeah um so he owns this theater. I guess he might be the Bill Graham character of sorts. And uh, he's putting on this show for New Year's Eve. And that's what they've done for every 15 years now, I think. And this one's going to be the biggest of all. Um, but then, you know, he has uh, what he thinks is some sort of heart condition problem. It turns out he's just he had Chinese food and it didn't settle well. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> cut to the black helicopters and like literally like it uses the subtitles the bad guys and right. uh 
you got you're close on Ed Bigley Jr. and like I immediately was like, well, okay, I'm gonna enjoy this. Like, wh- yeah. what is what is he possibly gonna be doing here? Yeah. And you know, he and there's two other guys, one of whom is I think uh, Fabian, who was I, I you know look, I just didn't know who he was, but I think he's also you know, one of these like Dick Clark guys, singers, like, you know, yeah. he had a couple like top 40 hits or whatever back in the day and like early days of rock and roll or whatever. Um, and the movie's littered with people like that. You know, you got Lou Reed in here, you got uh, mm-hmm. John Densmore from The Doors, um, mm-hmm. uh, Lee Ving from Fear, uh, yeah. who I did recognize. And then, you know, there's a couple others that I didn't even know. But, um, so I, I think the, the 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 bulk of the plot is basically they're trying to put on the show. Ed Bigley Jr. wants to stop them. I mean, I don't I don't even know why he wants to buy this building other than the obvious thing of to make money. But I think the lease is right. ending anyway. I mean, there was some bit about there was a, that great line that Bigley's like, "88 stories are going up and rock and roll is dead." Oh Just, yeah, yeah, know, yeah. I mean, it was something like that. I mean, it was just ridiculous. Well, but, well um, he they, they, he has a whole model built where. Where the yeah. <laughs> where the concert venue blows up, the scale model blows up, yeah. and then the eighty eight stories like rises out of the new model, of it. right? Yeah. It's just Which just one of many gags just <laughs> happening. Yeah, and when uh, things blow up, they blow up the way that like you know dynamite blows up in uh, the Roadrunner and Coyote yeah. com- you know, cartoons. Yeah, there's definitely uh, Max's nephew gets the char face uh, in one explosion. I remember the the pace of the movie was perfect and, and i think that's what basically what what helps you go along like you don't feel when I, when a joke doesn't land in this movie you almost don't feel it because yeah. there's something happening immediately or there's something already happening in the background and you're just you're just kind of carried along and the other thing I, I couldn't help thinking about was like like when lou reed shows up lou right. reed may be a very funny person in real life i don't know <laughs> I, I didn't expect him to come off funny it's, yeah. it's kind of one of those things you, you you know sometimes you're watching like a a show or you're watching a movie that's supposed to be funny and then like a like a NBA guy shows up and all of a sudden it's like oh god like we got to lurch through this scene cuz this guy's like wooden yes i know you know and and, and I, just, I expect like all these all these music people to to basically be the same thing it's like when they show up it's like oh he's a he's a real music guy because he's terrible in this scene and that's how i know but right. that to me, for me that never happened lee ving is perfect for what they he's want him to great. do yeah, Lou Reed. Lou Reed is perfect. I mean, maybe again, maybe he's just a super funny guy anyway. But to me, like he is, he's absolutely deadpan, and never seems like he's over it. Like his whole story is completely bizarre. Right. <laughs> but I, but I love like everything. All of his uh, reactions to things are so good, and it just felt like that was part of it. Is like the pace. Well, within the scenes and the yeah. editing, just like it just carries you the whole way through. What I was going to say, I, I think you don't get that a lot of times from musicians in movies, probably because the directors and the people involved are not like Alan Arkish, who worked as an employee at the Fillmore East and who made rock and roll high school, right? You know, right. and who worked for Roger Corman uh, and kind of came up through that. And he clearly knows his crap. Like, I did not realize, Craig, um, I think the first time we see. Lou Reed. He plays a character named Auden, who's like supposedly like, you know, the 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 poet of our times who hasn't done a, an appearance in years, and he's a recluse. And Max, the concert, you know, theater owner, is I'm gonna get him. I'm gonna get him. I'm gonna get him on the phone. And so he calls him, and you see the other side of the phone conversation. That's the first time you see Lou Reed in his place. 
Yeah. It's a really weird shot. It was staged weird. It's like you hear dripping in the background. That is a <laughs> yeah. recreation of the cover of a Dylan album called Bringing It All Back Home. I had no clue. What? There's this, this, yeah, there's a weird woman in a red like clothing smoking a cigarette behind Lou Reed. And uh, yeah, they, they re- recreated that to a T. So I was like, again, I was like, okay, that's, that's a really kind of interestingly cool detail in this very sort of like small inconsequential oh, movie wow. that you didn't have to have that kind of care behind it, you know? Right. Especially I, when it sounds like he found out in the making of this that it was probably never even going to be released, you know? Yeah. Um, and there was some sort of like craziness going on with the investors. But I liked that. And I li- even the, you know, yes, I agree. Like the non-actor musicians were really good in this and really fun and yeah. big and broad. I thought Malcolm McDowell was pretty great and he sang that was really him singing those songs. I guess that was in his contract that he wanted to do that. He was great too. Like he was like he you was. Know, like a perfect like eighties rock and roll, like slightly heavier version of, of Mick Jagger of sorts. And uh played it great. I mean uh yes. and I didn't expect that because I just thought, okay, he's in this movie. There's no way he didn't phone in this performance. There's no way, right? You know, you, you keep expecting somebody to just phone it in. Yeah, and and somehow they don't. Daniel and I, Stern. I, yeah. How do you like it? Like what? Working here. I like it a lot. No one in this movie looks like they don't want to be there. Yeah, and it's ridiculous. The, the 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 one of the the, the last uh, couple scenes of Malcolm McDowell in a bathroom talking to his genitals, <laughs> his very high pitched penis. So which it, I loved you. Yeah. Is it, it, it's just it's incredible. And actually, yeah, I, I, I was I was going to say I felt like that might be an album cover, and now I want to go back and watch it again and see oh, how many know. album yeah. covers might be in this. It could be. I just the thing about the Dylan one I found in the New York Times review, which is pretty brief, but um, yeah, it was actually Janet Maslin, and she was, she, you know, she kind of liked it for what it was, um, but definitely said it's not for everyone, right? Um, but you know, and also I, I do kind of wonder if like, okay, this, uh, this is going to be the next airplane, like if that's what the agents or the managers or whoever's doing the casting is like selling right. on people. Uh, that was only three years earlier, so you know maybe that had some sway at the time. But yeah, it's sure. it's totally it's really difficult to imagine a movie like this getting made with I I'd say like that level of talent and commitment, I guess. It feels like it anyway, you know. Yeah. And being able to pull it off this way and and being able to pull it off is oh, yeah. Right. I mean, sort of pulling it off and and maybe him having worked for for Roger Corman uh kind of aided in this, but it's like it's clearly a low budget movie. And yet, so many things about it feel like they have so much production value. Like, I mean, like they packed that house full of people. Like they don't they don't try and fake how many people are in that auditorium. Yeah, you know. Well, they shot it actually at the Wiltern Theater in uh, Los Angeles, which I've driven past eight thousand times. So I'm sure yeah. if, if people are listening and familiar with that place, I think that's where they shot it. Yeah, uh, I mean, they're they're just straight up stunts. The the, yep. the gags involved are are not necessarily simple. There's there's several uh, uh, pretty heavy duty um, uh, car stunts. I won't yep. say several, but like two or three like serious like you have to plan for this car stunts. 
Um, and yet everything feels kind of so loose and and ragged that it, yeah, it, it never feels too stiff. Like I, I kind of feel like if this movie is made right now with the wrong director, it would just feel really stiff and really locked down somehow. Whereas well, this just I'll, never I'll, stops. I'll do you one better. Uh, yeah. Half the crowd would be CGI. Um, yeah. And that to me, like, that's always, you know, we're talking about stunts and things like that. Just choreographing this yeah. show that they actually put on these concerts. You know, yeah, I'm sure they're lip syncing in the in the room. Right. But, um, man, that stuff is not easy. And getting no. a crowd to, like, stay energetic and, and be there and... and they use the crowd a lot. I mean, a lot yeah. of the gags come out of that. And, yeah. um, you know, they fill it up. And then the music performances themselves are good and interesting and well shot. And, like, it doesn't... It's crazy to say that it, it feels like a real concert when it's not even trying to. Like, it is way yeah. over the top, you know. It's not yeah. supposed to. And yet, to me, it felt more real than some of the crap I've seen in, like, biopics and things like that of musicians. Absolutely. Um, so I, that was really interesting to me, and uh, I, yeah, I don't know if that's a product of the time, but you were talking about the budget. Like, um, I, I don't quite have the budget in front of me, but I did see on the IMDb page, uh, I think in, in Alan Arkish's bio, it said that he got paid $85 to direct his first movie, which was called uh, Hollywood Boulevard, which I think was maybe a Corman flick. So oh, if yeah. that's all he, he got paid Dante. for, that, I mean, maybe this was like, he was like, oh, sweet, I'm in like... <laughs> I'm like rolling in the dough here on this movie. Um, right. Yeah. Oh my god. That's 85 hilarious. Eighty-five bucks. Eighty-five dollars. <laughs> He's probably yeah. happy to do it too, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I I, I heard something uh, not too long ago, and maybe it must have been a, a interview with Dante, Joe Dante, I think. Okay. Do you the, just the, call him Dante? I call him Dante. Well, I call <laughs> him D. I yeah. guess it was him and Alan Arkish who used to cut trailers for Robert Corman. Yeah. And and that's how they ended up doing and they ended up doing Hollywood Boulevard which thing. But but uh um was it on Trailers from Hell because that's Joe Dante's thing? Maybe. Okay, I'm going to look that up. Very very well could be. Not right now, but I'm, I am going to look. Um it up. no, let's all wait silently while you look it up. <laughs> we'll just listen to the keystrokes. No, but um but so here's the thing. So yeah, so Clearly, he's got a great sense of humor. Airplane came out. Airplane was super funny and everything. And there are definitely airplane-like gags here. Yep. But this goes way more surreal more often. Electric Larry. Electric Larry. Like, what is that? I kept expecting that to actually pay off besides the way it was already paying off. And it really didn't. Uh, okay, so yeah, those who didn't watch it yet. There's a character in the movie called Electric Larry who I can only describe as sort of looking like a more shadowy version of the T-1000 robot in Terminator or whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, who shows up like at very opportune times. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's got a cowboy hat on, that's right, to provide and, and distribute... Uh, drugs from the, the briefcase that he carries. It's usually like right. multicolored pills. Um, he doesn't ever say a word, I don't think. No. Nope. But they return to this probably four times. There's absolutely no explanation whatsoever as mm -hmm. to where he came from or what he's doing. One time he spikes the water cooler with LSD, I believe. Yeah. 
which that gives a fun little bit of animation here and there, just added on top of this. Uh, side note, if you're a fan of the, the classic, uh, great Austin experimental band, the Butthole Surfers, they have an album called The Electric Larry Land, which uh, I think oh. is, is perhaps in reference to that, and also a play on Electric Lady Land, the Hendrix scene. The Electric Larry, just in time. But Craig, once again, there were quite a few messages on the IMD message board specifically about Electric Larry, and people love them. And they, uh, there was more than one person that said that they had a friend in high school that they called Electric Harry, and I guess his name was Harry, so that was what they called. <laughs> <laughs> Which is such an '80s thing to me, man. I feel like there's very you know, people. People saw this on TV in the '80s and just fell in love uh, night after night of late night drugs and, and munchies, probably. Oh man! But to your point. Yeah, they come and go a bit, the gags. Some of them work, some of them don't. Some of them are big, some of them are not. I, by the end of it, I kind of felt like they just they sort of tapered off quite a bit, you know? Well, you know, some some of my favorite stuff, and you're right, like this was definitely toward the beginning. I would say, yeah, let's give some good examples from the beginning of jokes, of gags, the kind of stuff that they were doing. So hit me with some of your favorites. Okay, here's a gag that worked on me like gangbusters, okay. and and. I, I feel like it's not an airplane gag because I feel like the ZAZ guys who did the airplane movies were very disciplined in their gags. Right. And like, like their gags are very clear and they play out in a very clear way. And there's a there's kind of like, a, there are very few times, there are a few times, but very few times where something happens that is just completely like, what was that? Yeah. It's just just weird and is there to make you laugh. Like most of the times, there's a clear kind of setup, payoff somehow. Agreed. Whereas with Get Crazy, a lot more surreal stuff. Again, 3,000 punchlines, 1,000 jokes. So there's one scene where this girl's in a bathtub and she's talking to her friend. And they're talking about <laughs> yeah. how they both want to go to this show. But one of them has to go her to. Friend is, uh, yeah. Her friend is Daniel Stern's younger sister who's still living at home with her parents. Right. And by the way, the girl in the tub is naked, and I think she's playing a character who's who's under the age of 18. I mean, I can only assume yes. since they're home, right? I mean, they're with their parents. That's what they're complaining about. Yeah. Anyway. Ni- 1983 was a different time, everybody. Yes, it was. <laughs> it's a little uncomfortable, though. Un- until you said that just now, I kind of didn't even think about that. The, I'm, I promise you that actress was probably like 27. Sure, so, sure. No worries. Uh, but but yeah, so she's taking a bath. Uh, at some point, there yep. are a couple guys who appear in the window who have who have come up the window <laughs> to spy on her, and right. she does something that makes them yeah. you know fall. Uh, and that's not the weird part. The weird part is at the very end of the scene when the conversation is over or coming to a close anyway. A man in a scuba suit stands up <laughs> out of the tub. He's yes. been in the tub the entire yes. time, and she says on the yep. phone, she says. I gotta go. Tommy's here, and that's it. Boom. That's yep. it. And <laughs> he was he was underneath the bubble bath. Yep, he was down there. That, that killed me. Snorkel. It killed me. And it's it's not particularly amazing, but again, I will just say this: because of the pace of it, because they didn't like wait around, like oh well, we better we better not cut so that everybody can laugh before the next scene starts. Like they 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 know there's no point sticking around. Like it's funny because it's quick, boom, which is very much I feel like a rhythm that's happening today in a lot of comedy, where you're they're, you're not waiting around for the for the joke to land. Like it is a drive-by joke. It's going. It's it's already gone. 
and you got to keep up. I agree. And in that way, I mean, maybe that's a part of why I responded so well. It's like I'm so now used to the comedy happening faster. And and isn't that interesting, whereas it feels like this movie was designed for you to struggle to keep up with the jokes. Yeah. I mean, like you said, there's 3,000 3, punchlines yeah. and, and a thousand jokes. I could uh, definitely watch it again right now, and I'm sure I'd pick up on a ton more stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I also liked that in that same scene that you were talking about, the uh, so she's the girl in the tub is on the phone with uh, Daniel Stern's sister, who was played by, I'm looking here, Stacy Nelkin. So we'll give a little shout out to Stacey her. Nelkin. I liked her. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you cut to her in her room, she's like pacing around, and it's already been established that she's a huge fan of Reggie Wanker, which is the Malcolm McDowell character. <laughs> oh, my God, I remember that. And she's got this poster yeah. of Malcolm McDowell, uh, on her wall that has eyes that are following her and then at the end of the scene when she walks to the room like a tongue that sticks out which I it, it just felt yeah. like I liked it because yeah I, I totally did not expect the, the snorkel guy to come out sure. of the tub I didn't expect the tongue at the end but, but like that whole sequence is like yeah yep everybody's just everybody's just pervy for teenage girls <laughs> like, yeah yeah it, it is it is definitely a throwback in that way like it, it is yeah super pervy and I'm trying to think now because I wasn't thinking when I was watching it. Like, I think of a lot of a lot of the instances. The women certainly seem to be in control. I don't. I mean, there's you know, it's it's not like there's weak female characters in this thing or strong female characters. They're or just, strong characters. They're, everybody's really of any just a character. Kind, when you think about it, yeah, they're just all characters. Yeah. Then, but they're memorable and like yeah. you know, yeah, they're having a good time. Um, but another one of the scenes that I thought where they took the the initial gag. And and yeah, like you said, like really stuck with it that I was surprised by was a okay, like early on in the scene, you know, basically the movie sort of starts around mid morning, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so they've got to get stuff ready for that night. Um, at one point, you cut to a funeral <laughs> for right. a, oh, uh, man. a a man who was a guitarist and a driver yeah. for uh, noted blues man King Blues, and. Uh, <laughs> Hey, everybody at the funeral is blind. <laughs> There's just always people who are blind walking around with canes. Um, but uh, I also, I, one of my favorite lines was from that when he he said uh, in the funeral, he said, uh, God, take care of my man or I'm going to wax your oh, ass. <laughs> Which oh, I love God. that. That was great. But anyway, so King Blues leaves the funeral and he's got to hustle to make it on time to the venue, the Saturn Theater. When he shows up to the venue... He's like, what the hell is this? I said, I need a blues band. You guys got me a Jews band. Oh, and you just cut to Beautiful. these pasty white young guys uh, dressed in blue suits with yarmulkes. Mm-hmm. And then there's one like orthodox dude in you know the black and the little white rope and the hair. And uh, I thought, okay, that's a pretty funny little joke there. Yeah. Okay, what are they going to do with that? Uh, the band plays with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they keep it going. There's a uh, Star David on the bass drum. They got the menorah on top of the keys. Uh, the Orthodox guys playing their harmonica. And I was just like, this is pretty funny. Like, it keeps yes. paying off. And then at the end, he, he, he invites them to come on the road with him. And, like, they go and they get another last little moment there at, as the band, the backup blues band of yeah. Jews. And, uh, you know, that was one of those things. I was like, okay. I don't know. Like, yeah, if I'm writing that, I'm just like, okay, okay there's the Jews band. That's the joke. Ha, ha, ha. But he's not actually going to play with them, right? And, uh, you know, yeah, I was I was kind of happy to see them take that and run with that. Yeah. Um, another one that sticks out in my mind that for whatever reason, like, I just thought was kind of hysterical was I think during the first 
uh, Reggie Wanker performance, the Malcolm McDowell song that he did. There's a woman in the audience. I think it's the same woman. But she's like, Reggie, I love you here. And God, what did she... She hands up... Um, at one point, there's a she gives him a refrigerator yes. as a gift. Yeah. <laughs> like instead of throwing panties onto the stage, yeah. like a refrigerator comes up to the stage. Oh, and I'm trying to remember now what it started as, but it didn't start as the fridge, but... Um, it, it just would it would cut to that every now and then. oh there was a turtle a right. live turtle that she just gave and uh, I thought that was great um, you know so they're just like yeah some of those ga- I like the gag even like when they're you know when the people are finally like showing up and they let them in to open up the venue and get this thing started and they come rushing in the security's patting them down and they're like no guns no you know whips no long joints and this guy pulls out a gigantic joint like the length of like you know half his body um, from his pants leg. Okay, yeah, ha ha, Cheech and Chong. But then there's a- an actual giant joint, like that's just walking around. I think, I mean, like, if, yeah, at first I just thought it's a guy dressed up as a giant joint, but I don't think it is. By the end of it, I'm like, no, I think it's just the character is a giant, a giant joint, joint with eyes. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that made me laugh. And, uh, I mean, there's so many of those things that, like, yeah, yeah, I don't know, like, the stuff that I didn't laugh at this time. I do feel like it could be one of those, okay, you're like, yeah, next time, that, that, that joke will kill me. Well, and another joke that is, that is in, in, a, in a vein of humor that's, that's very close to my heart, which is this running gag where, because Max Wolf was sick, whenever you see him for most of the movie, he's in his bed. And that means right. he's in his bed if he's on the catwalk above the stage... Yeah, they just move the if bed. If he's in there. his office, you never see the bed being moved, but if he's in the scene, he's in a bed. And right. I mean, <laughs> just uh that makes me feel so good. Yeah. Uh that was one. And then then uh, the 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 song that King Blues sings, the first one anyway. Uh-huh. Uh the 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 first chorus of which is the blues got pregnant and they named the baby rock and roll, which I was not expecting. Yeah. That's pretty good. Um, right. There's a part of me that feels like that might not even be a joke song. That might be a real song. But, uh, uh, but yeah, l- l- let's let's not uh, ruin any more gags for people. But believe me, there's plenty more. Well, yeah, you got to see them to believe. There are a lot of good ones um, uh, to, that, that we haven't even touched on in any way. Yeah, I do think though, like on the whole, I thought the music was was pretty good. Like, yes. and I know some of those songs. I know there was like a Ramon song in there, and. Uh, you know, one of those blues songs. Hoochie Coochie um, Man. Hoochie Coochie Man, yeah, that's a Muddy Water song, I think. And then I think they did a Albert King's. Anyway, there's a couple of songs that I think might be original and then others that aren't. Yeah. I thought all of them were pretty good. Like, it's easy to kind of, like, get caught up in that and, mm-hmm. like, feel good about it. And, like, that's the thing, too. Like, you look at Spinal Tap, like, those songs are freaking great, right? Sure. Um and like this doesn't quite have that level, you know. And they're not being written for comedy's sake. Although that Hot Shot song that Malcolm McDowell sang, I mean, that's definitely sure. like you know, I mean, that is like Love Gun or something like yeah. that. You know, it's 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 very clear what he's talking about there. And uh, yeah, you really need that. I mean, I think that's another thing that you know, when you look at the Blues Brothers. Uh, you know, it's it's a classic for a lot of reasons. But the songs are good, you know, the performances sure. are good, and, like, that that stands out. And then, you know, this, yeah, again, like, you know, you may be not going to rush out to buy the soundtrack, but it's an interesting mix of stuff, and it's it's pretty good. I um, I also love, like, the band Nada, right? Yeah. 
who is sort of like, I mean, like the Bengals and what was it, the Plasmatics. Like it's got that sort of thing that was I was thinking about in the 80s where you just took the punk look but didn't necessarily play punk music. Right. Because <laughs> they've got like backup singers and, and saxophone things. And uh, I was like, hey, yeah, it's like all girl Billy Idol, you know. Because like, I always thought that was interesting. Even as a kid, I was like, why is he so angry and punk looking and singing about white weddings right. and stuff like that? Like the music didn't quite match that. Like, he doesn't image. actually seem scary uh, and that at was all. The case yeah. No. I mean, but then when they when they had guest vocals by Piggy Levine. Yeah. Yeah, it, that, that was, you know, I mean, that, that sounded like a fear song, you know, and that was great, too. I loved all the stage diving stuff, although that was hilarious oh, and, uh, and, uh, and, and fun. But, um, yeah, I don't know. So let's, let's, maybe we should talk about this, though. I feel like uh, as much as I enjoy this, it's, it's easy for me to say that Airplane is b- the better movie. Do you, you sort of, uh, you agree with me there on that one? Hmm. Yeah, I mean. Is it I only mean, because I haven't seen this one enough yet? Maybe compared to airplane, maybe, and you haven't watched it with enough people, maybe. Maybe, maybe. I only watched it by myself and two dogs. So well, yeah, yeah, like like I'll like formally, airplane is the better movie. Like just in terms of, I don't know that that's I'm, certainly in terms of successful laughs. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's it's the better movie. It's interesting because 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 uh, airplane does does sort of have a story where you do sort of care about whether or not the character gets what he wants but yeah. it's in a universe that's so silly it's not something that you're necessarily like really hinging a lot of things on but I would say like Airplane yeah. certainly has a little more of that like yeah I mean uh, 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 Get Crazy doesn't have any of that at all even even when it sort of tries to <laughs> no. at the end with a few characters like it there's no payoff no emotional payoff at all um no, you almost feel a little bad for Daniel Stern because he's kind of the straight guy in the whole thing. Yeah. Even though he's a perfectly likable, laid back dude, you yeah. know, and like ah, he's got a little bit of a love story there, but that is it's so less interesting than anything else going on in this movie. And like one thing I think that is a key difference between those than this and Airplane is the sheer number of characters in Get Crazy. I think dwarfs uh, airplane really, even though you've got all those passengers on the airplane. Right. Uh, it felt like they're using all the, the like the extended cast much more and get crazy. Yeah, and I think maybe you know maybe you're right. Like just having that uh, these dynamic characters that yeah you know, maybe you don't care about them landing this plane, or we're not supposed to like really like worry about that. Obviously, um, maybe it's a little easier to just at least for me to get wrapped up in that story versus the actual skeleton that they're hanging all the gags on and get crazy right yeah there, there's nothing really to if, if if for any reason you're not totally won over by the humor and get crazy you'll just stop watching it like there's not there's, there's yes, not a real sure. through line <laughs> to watch for if you're not enjoying that you're not going to get it i don't know if this is this is uh backtracking here at all but now go ahead backtrack speaking i had one other thing i wanted to point out too. okay well so daniel stern as you said he has a, a love interest in the movie and it is the daughter of max wolf who owns the venue as i understand it she shows up was she the daughter she's going to is that she right does not have the same last name her name is willie loman and that's that was a connection i kept trying to figure out i know right why is she named for the person from uh, death of death a salesman. salesman right yeah yeah 
and, and, and I realized there weird. may be no reason whatsoever. Uh, I, I looked through the rest of the, the names to try and figure out if there was more stuff that's kind of like that, and I wasn't really seeing it. Like, why? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know why. I, 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 I mean, yeah, just for that reason too. I, I I'm gonna have to watch this movie again. Yeah. There's really no way around it. Um, but yeah, what were you gonna point out? Well, I was gonna say, um, if there's any Trekkies out there, mm-hmm. Robert Picardo, yeah, plays uh, the fire inspector slash marshal. Which I liked that performance too. I thought that was kind of a fun little character. Uh, it's not much going on there, but he's been in a million things too, and I I, I definitely recognized him. Uh, he was in Gremlins too, apparently, mm-hmm. and I I think, um, but most notably, I think he probably will be familiar to people from uh, Star Trek Voyager and Star Trek First Contact, if you've seen those things. Because I have not. So sorry, <laughs> sorry about that, Trekkies. But, uh, <laughs> there it is. If you're a fan of the actor. I did have one question about uh, the daughter, or well, maybe daughter Willie Loman, whether right. whoever, however she's related sure. to Max or um, or that kind of thing. There, there was one because they keep doing these sort of like daydream montage. Well, not montage, but sequence when Daniel Stern see, like every time she walks into the room, right? <laughs> so the first time she comes in, like he immediately like is imagining like this like jungle scenario where he's like dressed in like the Tarzan loincloth and carrying a uh, a chimp on his sure. shoulder, you know, as he meets this beautiful girl. I think the next time it like starts out in the daydream and she's in like drop dead gorgeous like lingerie. She looks great, mm-hmm. right? And so like she's walking toward him and then, you know, they're using visual cues, you know, I think there's some some fog and uh I don't know if they sort of use like the you know, the soft filter on the lens or not. But um they step out of that sequence, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so she's not in the smoke and the red light and all this stuff that was cueing you into the fact that this is clearly a daydream. And so now she's just walking with him, but she's still in the lingerie. And I was like, wait, what? 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 <laughs> what happened? Is she dressed? And like, she's telling about why she, I think, left. Like, she used to work at the Saturn Theater as a stage manager, just like Daniel Stern. Like, I think she's telling why she left the first time. I missed all of that. I was so, like, caught off guard <laughs> by what they were doing. And, like, it's kind of a funny thing to do. Like, yeah. I, I think, like, that's another, like, stylistic gag that that's pretty interesting. And, and uh, you know, it, it again, it's like what you're talking about. Like, play the joke a little bit further. They go a little bit further, and then they snap out of it. And, like, yeah, she's just dressed like a normal person. Yeah. Um, do you remember why she said that she left the first time? Uh, I, I don't I'm at dying all. I to don't know, remember Craig. any of that story. Uh, I remember okay, what you're talking see. about. And and the thing that kind of occurred to me about that is it's it's hard to make a planned continuity error like that. Like and it's such it really is you know yeah. like like it's it's it it feels like such a sort of a breezy thing, like oh we just didn't change her back to her costume for the scene you know, but that's really that's actually really hard. Uh, I mean that that they, not maybe really hard but it takes effort. Um, to kind of keep up with all that kind of stuff. Uh, right. Yeah, that's really funny. Well, all the more reason to watch it again. Oh, man. Um, sure. I just, I found the thing about the investors, and I thought maybe that we can end on this cautionary note. Mm. Yeah. All right? So this is from Wikipedia. So, uh, you know, clearly this movie was not a home run at the box office. Yeah. 
But Arkish said, quote, the scam they came up with, came up with being, or they being the producers, uh, was to release, was to sell the shares in the movie to some Wall Street tax shelter group and then put it out so that it would intentionally lose money. Just like the producers, he references, the Mel Brooks movie. So nobody saw it on purpose. It was so horrible to work so hard on something and then see it just thrown away. Uh, and that, oh man, that that's, just sucks. Yeah. Cause you, cause I've never heard of anybody doing that, and that's yeah. awful. That is a lot of hard work. Like You watch that movie, yes. That's not an yeah. easy movie to make. Yeah, and if you're... Yeah, and apparently along with this, like, you know, just continuing the, the tragedy of, of this movie not being seen, uh, part of the reason that it's not out on DVD and, and Blu-ray and whatnot, and not, uh, you know, maybe one day it'll end up streaming, is apparently because of issues with, I think, the music rights. And, um, man, that's too bad, but it's not surprising that if you're working with people that are <coughs> scamming the release... Yeah. That perhaps the deals they negotiated on the music were not longstanding, yeah, um, and that's unfortunate too. That does happen a lot, you know. I think uh, uh, I've heard about that mostly on TV. Like things will finally get released on DVD, and people will be like, "Wait a second, I remember a different song on the scene during the Wonder Years," right? <coughs> and it's yeah because they had a license to use that song from the Birds or whoever uh, for ten, fifteen years, and not anticipating that thirty years later people would still be dying to watch this on DVD <laughs> right. or, or whatever. Um, so yeah, if you're if you're getting music for your movie, make sure you get the rights to use it like indefinitely. <laughs> Man, yeah, I, I'd love for somebody to to champion this movie. I mean, there's so many companies now who make Blu-rays and stuff like that. Like, sure would be nice if somebody could yeah. put that stuff together because it's not. I mean, it's not like Michael Jackson was in it, um, no, which actually may make it, it, it feels even like harder. A, I, I don't know, you yeah. know, to track. Down I mean, stuff. the Lou Reed aficionados, uh, you know, it feels like they would want to see this. Yeah, and uh, but yeah, you you look at some of these places that do some of the ah, um, oh, you know, just all all those like horror movies that yeah. have been released and like great special editions that you're like, are there, is there really a large fan base for this movie? You know, Phantasm Four. Uh, or something, right. you know, not to put down the Phantasm series. But, um, yeah, I'd love to see one of those people, like, grab a hold of this and get it out there. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like we're recommending it. Uh, yeah, man. I would recommend it. I'd, uh, I'd sit down and watch it with the family right now, if I could. Uh, I don't know if you should show your no. kids this quite No, you yet. definitely shouldn't. That'd be very <laughs> confusing. They'll have questions. They might. I'm sure they. I think they would probably enjoy yeah. it. Maybe they might be a little bored. Yeah. They'll have. They'll have questions you may not want to answer. That's yet. true. They may have questions you can't answer. But next year. Next year. Indeed. So thank you again, uh, Terry Welch, Professor yes, Welch, you. Professor of uh, comedy movies, craziness. Yeah. Um, for suggesting this movie, uh, that was a, a fantastic suggestion. And one I don't think I would have ever gotten to had I not heard it from you. Hey, why don't you uh, why don't you come back next time? We're going to talk uh, news and whatnot in our mini episodes. It'll be brief and informative and probably a little bit fun. Let's hope so. And then after that, we got a guest coming in. We'll keep you informed on that, but it's going to be a fun one as well. So stay tuned to Facebook, Twitter, wherever you get your your podcast uh, info from us. 
and uh, yeah, get crazy.